Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And I think this is a record, Aaron. Of course, joining me here is our co-host from the West Coast, Aaron Porter, out there in San Luis Obispo, California. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, in Franklin, Tennessee. And I think this is the first time in the history of the podcast that we have recorded episodes within five days of each other. Uh, except that first week when I uh, took over the co-host seat and we did like three that week because I wasn't ever going to do it again. Oh, did uh, we do that? I don't so remember we're, that. We're trying to buy some time. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, other than that, which that was a long time ago. I don't even know when this started, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have become a little erratic in recording uh, episodes, and I've gotten some some snarky comments from our brothers. I'll tell you uh, what. Yeah, that's, I almost responded to one of those snarks that I saw online. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just they care. I mean, the, these, these conversations and these wonderful people that we meet can be a, a lifeline to guys out there. Uh, so anyway, we had a great conversation just five days ago with Robert Beeson, and uh, I've already uh, gotten some great feedback from that one. And here, uh, here we are again on Monday uh, with another conversation. And this is more than just Monday. This is a special day in the Porterhouse. Tell, tell us about that. This is my oldest son's 18th birthday. Wow. He can now vote. Smoke. Oh, wait, no, he can't smoke. <laughs> oh, no, he can't drink. Uh, get arrested. Yep, that's pretty much the only other thing he can do. He can die for his country. He can die for his country. That's, that's right. right. Can, you, can you get lottery tickets still at 18? Do they take uh, your money? You can't, you can't kill yourself with a cigarette, but <laughs> can you? Yeah, you can impoverish yourself through the lottery. I'm, pretty, I'm quite sure. Okay. 18. Oh, okay. that's great. I got to take him somewhere to get a lottery ticket today. That's yeah, he can buy porn, too. Oh, is that still 18? I think so, yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Just, you know, it's, it sounds so funny to even... Unfortunately, nobody, yeah, nobody under 18 has any access to porn. Exactly. I, man, I remember the first magazine that I bought, uh, I snuck off while in a, a city that we were, we were vacationing in, and I was 17, and I went in there with the longest story to tell the person at the counter uh, <laughs> to like, so that they wouldn't ask how old I was. And I yeah. overplayed that thing. And I am sure that person was just rolling their eyes like, just give me the money and take your disgusting magazine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I said magazine, singular. Take your disgusting small pile of magazine that cost all the money you had. <laughs> So, anyways, okay, yeah. Okay, but anyway, happy that, birthday but to that, Samuel. But that was an actual thing back then. We had to think about like that. Sure, that's absolutely it's not the way it is anymore. No, what what is sure. the saying? If you've paid for porn, you just don't know how to use the internet. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So yes, eighteen-year-old crazy. Uh, I don't know when that happened. Uh, I mean, you probably met first time you met Samuel. He was probably like seven or so. I so think so. Yeah. It's uh, it goes by fast. That's what they all say. Um, I just don't believe him. But it was really cool this morning. I was uh, writing him a, a letter. And uh, I don't want to spend his gold by talking too much about it. But one thing really deeply came to mind that I've been thinking about the last few uh, months. When, when he was 16, he got to take his first step towards manhood in that uh, I sat him down with my wife and said, all right, we're not going to make your rules anymore. We're not going to tell you what to do. We're not going to tell you when to go to bed, do your homework. Uh, if you want to go with your friends on your mother's birthday, I'm not going to tell you you can't. I might make a recommendation, but you'll make your own decisions now. And we're happy to participate in helping you make those. And that was kind of an important step to me for a young man to learn how to be a man. But in the in his home where he has yeah. some safety nets and he took that really seriously i mean even in that conversation you just saw him like grow <laughs> an inch <laughs> and he just had this look but earlier this year he was in a situation where it, it was uh his feelings were on the line someone was hurting his feelings mm -hmm. and 
I got to, to sit down with him in the final conversation with that situation. And I saw early in the conversation, he almost stepped into trying to justify, fix, or get what he wanted out of it. And then I watched this shift in his brain. And it was mm. the, the coolest thing to witness. The rest of the conversation that I watched was him trying to make, to affirm the person in their decision so that they wouldn't have to regret it. And then at the end, he literally gave them a blessing for their future. Mm. And it was at that moment that I thought men's initiation is such an important thing. You know, we, we've talked about how every other culture has men's initiations. Yeah. Uh, shoot yeah. a monkey out of a tree, bungee jump off a cliff, uh, sit on a hilltop for four days till you hallucinate. Honestly, in that moment, I thought you don't need a men's initiation. This is your men's initiation. Mm -hmm. You just cared more about another person's heart than your heart being protected. And even in your pain, you gave a blessing to them. Wow. If, if that doesn't count as your initiation, if shooting a monkey is more <laughs> manly, then I'm just confused. Yeah. And so it's pretty cool that as my son graduates by culture into adulthood via a number 18 that means nothing, I can actually with total confidence say, no, you, you are a man. You've earned your place. Mm. And it came through sacrifice. Because how did God demonstrate his love? While we were still sinners, he let his son die. He sent his son to die. Sacrifice and pain is the initiation on behalf mm. of those who are not worthy. Mm. So anyways, I was uh, thinking about that this morning as wow. I celebrate the special day. Wow. Wow. Uh, I guess you took the boy to breakfast. You got anything else planned for the day? No, I made the boy breakfast. Uh, oh, you made it? Yeah. yeah, we made it last night. We it's been a it's been a big big process. So yeah, we had a the kids always have to open gifts and things in the morning. I never got to do it first thing. What is this Christmas? Yeah, uh, I was always forced to wait until family came over and all that. Uh, so yeah, we uh, in the middle of the morning are all going to go to the gym together and work out as a family. Nice. Uh, about 11 or 12. And then this afternoon head to beautiful Morro Bay. To oh yeah. Hofbrau with grandma and grandpa. Nice. That is his favorite uh, birthday place, which I remember the first time you went was with Scott Phillips. I do recall it. Yes, it's a vivid, vivid memory. You had your French dip sandwich and uh, the first time you had a Firestone double barrel ale. Yeah. Why do I remember those details? That was the <laughs> <to> go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we will, we will sit uh, looking at the bay and having awesome French dip sandwiches. Oh, that sounds awesome. And now well, scratching a lottery ticket, thanks to you bringing that up. <laughs> going to be awesome. <laughs> well, give my love to, to Samuel, will you? He is a special young man. Uh, I loved that he came to the, the uh, Pirate Monk Recharge weekend last fall with his dad. He had such, such a good time. He actually just pulled out, as we went, he made a list of every person he met along those, like, 11 or 12 days we were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just pulled it out the other day and read through it. Wow. And there were names I hadn't thought about, like Soutien. He yeah, yeah, written, yeah. written about him, our friend from Malaysia that was at the retreat. And uh, it, was, it was just cool. But it meant yeah. enough to him meeting all these other men to, to say, I got to make a list. I don't want to forget anybody. Well, hey, Aaron, I am excited about you meeting a friend of mine. It's coming up here in just a second when we get to the interview part of the show. You, my friend, are going to love my recovery coach, Robin Abatey. He's a man with inside information about you? <laughs> Which uh, uh, I had him sign a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> it was uh, written up by my lawyer, uh, uh, Cohen. And um, anyway, we will be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
it's a release. A release from what? Your sexual appetite? Forget it. Get real. It's artificial sex. Masturbation. It's artificial sex. Masturbation. It's artificial sex. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, excited for personal reasons about our guest today because uh, we have joining us on the podcast the guy I call my recovery coach. Been working together now for a couple of months, two, three months. Robin Abadie. Hey, Robin. Hey, Nate. Hey, Aaron. Uh, brother, thank you so much. I, I, I'm just coming to treasure our times together and I'm so grateful for this technology that caused so much damage in my life that now God's redeeming and using for healing because I live in middle Tennessee and you live almost all the way to Arkansas out there in Memphis yeah absolutely and yet we can have uh, quality conversations on a weekly basis and uh, it's it's helped me to take a, a new turn on this long journey of recovery I'm really glad to hear that. So, um, Robin, I, I'd love for our listeners to hear uh, to hear some of your story. Uh, it's unusual. You have an unusual story. Uh, take take us back to childhood and uh, give us a thumbnail sketch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'll I'll kind of give like what I do right now, and then even show how it kind of led to it. So, I'm a pastor been a pastor for over 12 years um, in, in Northeast Mississippi, but then for the last eight years in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I do this ministry on the side called Tin Man Ministries, and, and that's what, uh, Nate, you were referencing earlier. And, um, and, and Tin Man a, is a, a coaching, displaying, and consulting ministry where we, uh, as, as we have men and women who are guides to others to help them get more out of life mm -hmm. um, and to get back to home. Right. And when we talk about home, what we mean is like home where God's called you to be, home to the gifts he's called you to have, those kind of things. But uh, it's been a long, uh, difficult journey for me to get to home mm. for myself. Um, so I, I grew up in Mississippi, but I was born in Iran. My father's Iranian. He was a fighter pilot in the late 70s. My mother is blonde hair, blue eyed from Mississippi. And my father got stationed in Columbus, Mississippi at an Air Force base there. And this was back in the late 70s when Carter was president. And there was a lot of relationship happening with the Middle East. So he was one of the pilots that got selected to come to the States. Met my mom. Uh, my mom followed him back to Iran. I was born in Tehran uh, and in 79. And then everything with the hostage crisis started up. And so they separated and my mom came back to the States. And so I grew up with um, uh, all my family on her side in Northeast Mississippi. And it was just a very, uh, it, it, I call it somewhere between an oasis and a compound. Uh, <laughs> out, out in the middle of Mississippi, you can take it as you want. Um, but honestly, you were either kind of white, black or me. Uh, in that area. I, I was, I grew up utterly confused um, and didn't really know where I belonged. Uh, and so I had a lot of identity crisis at a young age, dealt with a lot of anxiety mm. and, um, you know, didn't know what to do with it all as a child. I just knew I had tension inside of me that life didn't make sense. It wasn't working out the way I saw for other kids. Maybe they had their parents together. Maybe they were, both parents were the same color. I don't know, but I just knew that things were different for me. And I also grew up in a really fundamental Christian church, mm. uh, something that came out of the Jesus movement. And so it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It was go to church, you know, uh, and really live a holy life. So there wasn't really a lot of room for questions growing up. I grew up just very confused and uh, kind of in a, in a flat kind of world where I couldn't just go, hey, what does this mean here? What does this mean there? And I remember the first time I came across uh, porn, mm -hmm. I was, I was uh, at a friend's house, and we would play like video games, trade baseball cards, 
and then try to get on Skinamax uh, late at night. <laughs> what happened there? And um, I can still remember the first time I ever saw pornography, and it just it was like seared into my brain. Uh, and but at the same time, there was something released in me. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel tension. I didn't feel anxious. Mm-hmm. And somehow the world was okay with me. I was okay with the world, and the world was okay with me. Now I look back and I know those were just endorphins shooting off. Right. But at the time, I didn't know what to do with that. And uh, so I had to keep that a secret because mm-hmm. you couldn't talk about those kind of things. And I didn't know really where to take them. Didn't really have a dad around. So um, I, uh, I just kind of would, whenever I went to a friend's house, that would happen. And that lasted, at the same time, there was a couple of things happening. Uh, there, was the, there was the Gulf War starting up. Uh, and I started dealing with a lot of racism in school mm. uh, because being Middle Eastern. And so the pressure was compounding. I also was getting more and more drawn to like my own faith. Mm. And uh, so I was trying to be really holy, uh, but also dealt with a lot of racism. And then also here is all this uh, lust available mm. for me. And uh, eventually I, uh, I remember I, um, I got my sex education from baseball players. I played baseball, which is the worst kind of sex education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and I remember I, I masturbated and, uh, it was, it was just different. It was just like, mm-hmm. okay, you talk about home. I mean, earlier mm-hmm. it felt like home in this weird way. Mm-hmm. Like everything just made sense. And everything was okay around me and something clicked in me. And I was like, I got to have more of that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, I started preaching in church when I was 14, oh, yeah. not because I was gifted, but because our, our bench was pretty shallow and they needed mm-hmm. someone to come off the bench from time to time. And, uh, so I had this kind of, um, uh, dichotomy that was happening in my life mm-hmm. and I call it the, the 1 PM me and the 1 AM me, mm-hmm. the 1 PM me was small town baseball hero, really religious, good kid. All the dads wanted him to date their daughter. The one A in me became a, a chronic masturbator, didn't know how to deal with life on life's terms. Uh, grew up in a lot of chaos. Uh, my mom ended up remarrying and he, he, he was a drug addict. And so I grew up in around a heroin addict for about six years. And I was, again, didn't know what to do with all of this. I just knew that masturbation, chronic masturbation was giving me a relief from everything in the world that mm-hmm. even my, my religion couldn't carried this with me all throughout my teens, uh, had to keep it a secret. Anytime I tried to, I tried to tell somebody in authority, I was shamed, uh, mm-hmm. within the church. So I just had to keep it to myself and I was getting saved every other weekend. I felt like yeah. <laughs> going up to the altar, you know, the pounding, the, the steps there. And, um, so I, I ended up going to college to a Christian school out in the Midwest called Oral Roberts university. And, uh, uh, started seeing more and more the underbelly of, of the church, um, some, some messy things there. And I decided, though, to kind of keep forging my way forward, though. I was going to be in ministry. I knew I wanted to preach and teach and lead and shape culture, but I also knew I had this really icky, despicable side of me, this 1 a.m. me that I couldn't tell anybody. I just, and I tried to do like more and more confession, like, let me go confess it to this authority. Let me go confess it to this holy person. And I just thought, surely, if I could shame myself out of this, that's what I was mm-hmm. doing. I was trying to shame myself out of, of this. And just nothing worked. Yeah. And um, so then I thought, okay, so I moved overseas. was a missionary for several years. West, Western Europe, North Africa, Middle East. Was going to go reach Muslims and, and whatnot. And was always a go-getter. And uh, I remember uh, I was overseas. I was living in Jordan, studying Arabic full-time living with a roommate, but he, uh, he and I didn't have much interaction and I started just diving into porn Mm -hmm. and I finally had, I didn't have enough shame in my life. That was always the, the, the Mm -hmm. story that followed me. Yeah. I I had people that would shame me into doing right things. And when those people were gone, I couldn't shame myself enough. I just lived shamelessly. Mm -hmm. So I went from being shamed to now being shameless. And, um, Got married because I thought that would solve the problem if I could just have sex. Um, and I married someone that saw through all my BS, someone who wasn't willing to, uh, even though they were, they married an addict and that means they're a codependent, 
my wife was unwilling to stay in, in as a codependent. And so she put some regulations saying, I'm not going to stay with you unless you start getting help in therapy. Um, I, we were living back in Tupelo, Mississippi. I couldn't get anyone to give me a job in the church because they could see through uh, my, uh, my BS. I, I would mm -hmm. talk a good game. I, I, I came to believe that life was about competency, that if you mm -hmm. could just be a really competent person, you could get places. And my competency, that runway was running out. Mm -hmm. And now I was finding that my competency was here, but my character was down here. Mm -hmm. The one PM me was, was slick and could wield a mic and could, mm -hmm. could hold attention of an audience. The one AM me didn't know what to do with this. I couldn't bring it up. And I kept trying to shame myself up to having more character. So I started doing, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think people were seeing when they were saying, nah, you were, we're not going to bring you into this ministry. Mm, that's a really good question. I think uh, I think they saw I think they saw arrogance. I think they saw a guy in them. You know, first off, anybody. You, I think we all can say this here, right? Like you look back in your mid twenties, and I'm like, man, I would have never hired me, knowing what I know now about life. <laughs> I mean, how many twenty year olds do you really want to listen to about wisdom and about how the world works and God? You know. Yeah. Um, but I, Aaron, I think I think they were I think there were certain people just, they saw the arrogance and they saw that something just was off mm -hmm. that I could just keep talking a good game. But like they would look at my marriage and my wife is just depressed mm -hmm. and they're going, something's off here. How is it? All these people can celebrate you and love you in public, but this person that's with you day in, day out, like they're just too ashamed to want to show up to things. Mm -hmm. I think that was part of it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, uh, I rummaged my way, through those probably first five or six years of marriage by uh, porn, uh, masturbation, uh, all of it was chronic. I, I lost a, a job or two because of lust, because I would be caught or because I would take longer breaks during lunch than I was supposed to, all of it to feed my disease. But here's the thing. I just thought I had a sin problem. That's what I thought I had. I didn't think that I was actually dealing with something that was a disease that was something that really needed a lot of attention. And I just thought if I just kind of, you know, found some good Bible verses, rubbed it on me, you know, <laughs> osmosis, it would all work out. And I found myself getting more and more distant from God as well. Uh, I remember going to my therapist and saying, Hey, I think I may have a, I think I may have a problem with, with masturbation. What do you think? He's like, yeah, maybe so. And uh, <laughs> he'd been holding back on that. He gave me a book. Uh, by Mark Laser, I think it was called Faithful and True. I got about halfway through it and I threw the book down and I was like, screw this. Cause I had already gotten a job as being a pastor. I finally mm -hmm. got somebody to hire me as a pastor. And I was like, I can't be a pastor and have sex addiction. It's mm -hmm. just, those two can't work out. And uh, so I got as far away as, as I could from that. I went back to, I just need to keep repenting. I need to think differently and believe the Bible and all these truths and everything will change. And uh, I just was getting more and more bitter, more and more ingrown, more and more distant. Um, and I remember uh, I had a chance. We It was about 2009. And um, we had an opportunity to move to New York to go plant with a couple of influential churches there. We were going to go plant in Brooklyn. And it was just scratching all the itches I had. Mm -hmm. Being in a big, powerful city, you know, around hip, cool people, getting to use my gifts. We sat down with these church planning experts and they were telling me and Suzanne, my wife, you guys are going to be great. You're going to kill it. You're going to do great in New York. And I thought, yes, it may be the Clampets coming to town, but we are going to, we are going to kill this. And then I started opening up about just my addiction, about mm -hmm. my marriage. And I remember this one guy, he said to me, he goes, man, I appreciate your honesty, but I want you to know this city will eat you alive if you don't deal with this. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we can't, we can't do this right now. And it crushed me because I just really wanted to go have this incredible, uh, as you said earlier, Nate performance. I wanted to perform well. Mm -hmm. That was my thing performance. And I didn't know how to be present. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to show up. I knew how to, sh I knew how to show out. But I didn't know how to show up to things and, uh, and really bring my heart myself. 
So uh, get, explain, uh, explain the difference, performing versus being present. How, how would you define for someone that hasn't thought that through as much as you have? Well, performance, it goes back to the, the 1 p.m. me. The performance is all the competencies I want you to see about me. And I haven't been competencies of being a good religious person. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm, I'm committing to small groups, I'm, I'm, I'm saying all the right things. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how to tell the truth about where I really am. You know, mm-hmm. so how the Bible opens up when Moses is telling the story of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 to God's people, um, you know, Adam and Eve sin, and they go and they hide themselves because they're filled with shame and fear. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing God says to them is, isn't, what have you done? You idiots. You've ruined mm-hmm. everything. Get out here. Give me a good confession right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first thing he says to them is a really simple question. He, he asks them, he goes, where are you? Mm-hmm. Where are you? And Adam confesses, not what a horrible sinner he is. Adam confesses, I was filled with shame and I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And it's like God looks at him and goes, we can work with that. Mm-hmm. We can work with you, not parroting back to me how you got all this wrong. You need to do better. You need to go repent more. But he just simply gave him his heart mm-hmm. and he was present. And so what I found was there was just this big gap. I didn't know how to be present. I didn't know how to tell the truth about myself, how to tell on myself, not for you to fix me, but so that I can be present with you and you can be present with me. Mm-hmm. And if I can start telling the truth about where I am, maybe things can change. So a non-ministry, non-stage version that could be the exact same way is a dad who is struggling with the same kinds of things, shows up at home and knows, okay, I know I'm supposed to like check in with kids, throw the baseball. That's just their performance. That's right. It is all high. It, it, It is the bush behind which they are hiding their shame. Absolutely. Absolutely, because if you really know, if you really knew who I was at 1 a.m., you wouldn't want me, because mm-hmm. I don't want me. And um, so I need to be super dad, super husband, super pastor, super whatever it may be. Um, and so that, when we got rejected to that job, that sent me then on a journey of like, I've got to do something about this in my life. I've, it was my pearl of great price. Mm-hmm. Like I've got to, I've got to sell everything to go get the thing I don't have. We ended up moving to Memphis. I took a job at a church. Probably wasn't the wisest thing because it kept feeding the, the performance thing in me. But I remember in 2012, so in 2011, and Nate, I, I told you this before, I, re- I picked up Samson and the Pirate Monks. Mm. And it was your story. I know it's, it's so the, the, the beautiful way the kingdom works that yeah. we're working together, right? There are yeah. things I can give you, but it was your story <clears throat> that got me into even more of a formal recovery. Mm. Um, so I read that book and I remember thinking, maybe I can be a pastor and tell the truth about who I really am and where I really am. Mm. And I uh, started going to uh, essay meetings and um, I started finding a lot of freedom. Mm. For the first time, I wasn't having to medicate myself. And for the next two years, there was a lot of change in my life. My, my marriage started getting, started getting better. And, um, we brought a, our little girl into the world, Charlotte, and there was all kind of things that were working, but then I noticed, and this is the, this is the, the kind of final part for my story here that brings me to even where I am today. I noticed though, that something was still off spiritually. Mm. I knew how to have now competency, and I knew how to have character, but I didn't really know how to care for myself well. Mm. It was that third C, like love God, love others, but I always missed out on the part that said, love God, love others as you love yourself. Mm. And I didn't really know how to care for me well. I just thought I was doing these things because I was a horrible person and I need to do better things. I need to be a better person. And I got about two and a half years into having a long stretch of sobriety. Mm-hmm. You know? To me, it was all about the days, how long mm-hmm. I went. And finally, I remember thinking it was about, it was about uh, almost three years, actually. Because I remember about two and a half years in, I, I started hiding out more. I wasn't telling the truth about my struggles. I wasn't telling the truth about my fears. And honestly, I didn't really believe I had a God that wanted to be with me in it. Mm-hmm. Like a God that really 
I knew that God saw me for who I was. And I believe that he just didn't really want me and he was embarrassed of me. Mm. And, um, I remember, um, I remember trying to sit down and write a sermon. It was a, it was a Monday and I thought I need to like study my Bible. This was May of 2015. I need to study my Bible. And I felt so lonely and so distant and so disconnected. And, and I sat there and I told myself the truth. This has been this way now for four to five years Mm. that I feel so lonely with God and so distant. And I thought, I don't care. I'm done. I don't want this. And, um, I went to a really dark place. Mm. Uh, it was, it was the eating and drinking and the purging, the lusting, the masturbating. It just became this really sick cycle. I started trying to find ways to get out of my life, like mm. take my life. And, um, for some reason I, so I had just met Jeff Schulte. Jeff mm. started 10 man ministries, then the mm-hmm. ministry and I do work with him. I had heard Jeff and a guy named Chip Dodd. Mm-hmm. Chip's a, a therapist in the Nashville, greater Nashville area, um, has a, a rehab center there called Center for Professional Excellence. And I'd heard Jeff and Chip speak. Mm-hmm. And somehow I'd gotten Jeff's information. And I had invited him to come do a little men's event that I put together. And he came mm-hmm. there. And all I knew was when he was talking, he was talking to me. That's what mm-hmm. I knew. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember I had his number. And I texted him, I said, listen, man, you don't really know me. I mean, I had you come do this event, but can I talk to you and tell you some things? And uh, I call it my 15 minutes of insane courage. Mm. I found 15 minutes of my life to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth to one person Mm. and let them know everything. And I said it all. Mm. I said, I said everything from me trying to look to get out of my own life, my own marriage. I was going to leave everybody. I was going to just kind of get away from it. And I said, man, I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, I'm glad you called. First off, he said, I'm glad you called. Mm. I love you. And there's still hope. Mm. And even now, like I just go that I didn't think that was true. Mm. I didn't think I could tell the truth to a person and then really still say, I love you. And there's still hope. So I went to, uh, I went to CPE. I went and I did rehab. My friends called it pastor prison. Um, but it was, it was, it was the place I needed to go to. Um, did work there with the, with Phil Herndon. He's the clinical director mm-hmm. with Chip and, and others. And I learned to finally do three things. I learned to finally, uh, feel my feelings. Yeah. To go, there are feelings inside this chest. I know it's in my limbic but it's like in my chest. That's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. I knew that there were feelings that, that I could tell the truth about when I was afraid and ashamed and lonely and that I could feel my feelings. I could then tell the truth about where I was and who I was. That question of God saying to Adam and Eve, where are you? Mm -hmm. It was just so simple, but I know how to, I didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. I could feel my feelings. I could tell the truth. And then lastly, I could trust the process. Mm. I could, I could let, I could let God in this whole thing of telling the truth about who I was and where I was, take me somewhere and start, you know, in the big book in, in AA, it says, uh, page 417 that acceptance is the key to all my problems today. Mm. And I started finding, I could start accepting life on life's terms. And so for the last three years, that's what I've been learning to do more and more. Mm-hmm. is learning to feel my feelings, tell the truth, trust the process. I'm in recovery. And I've found that um, that self-care piece, so like competency, character, and now care, like that mm-hmm. care piece, I can't overemphasize I emphasize it enough. What, mm-hmm. is, what does care look like for you practically, personally? Well, um, practically... Uh, I still practice. I still do essay. Mm-hmm. I find that that it, that wasn't the problem for me. It's that I was even treating that as a place to go perform. Mm-hmm. I wanted to impress people by the length of my recovery and the wise things I had to say. And I stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. I started just going to those meetings and I was the, I'm the most selfish person in those rooms. I am there to talk about me mm-hmm. and I am there to talk about all the stuff happening inside of my chest. 
and how I need to tell the truth about me. So it, it looks practically. I go to meetings every week. I have a sponsor. I answer to someone, someone who's a hard ceiling. So one of the things that I talk a lot about with the other people that I do recovery coaching with is we all need walls and we all need ceilings and walls are people that hold up mirrors to let you see you for who you really are. Mm -hmm. They're not there to fix you, but they are there to reflect to you who you mm -hmm. are. We all need walls in our lives. Um, and then we also need ceilings. And the ceilings are one way. It's not both ways. Ceilings are people I answer to. When they mm -hmm. say things to me, I go, okay, I'm going to go try that. Because when I answer to a ceiling, it allows me to then practice powerlessness in a really practical way. So I have a sponsor. I call him every day. I do a, a check-in with them. Mm -hmm. We call it A-E-I-O-U. A, are you abstinent? E, mm -hmm. did you exercise? Mm -hmm. I, what did you do for yourself? O, what did you do for others today? And you, is there anything unsaid? And I do that every day. I, um, I have a journal that uh, I used to journal. This is part of performance versus presence. I used to try to perform in my journaling because mm -hmm. I would envision one day somebody's going to find this journal. They're going to open it up and they'd be like, Oh, the words of God are coming mm -hmm. out of it. And my life is being changed, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to be sloppy. I'm going to be messy. And I'm just going to say whatever I need to say for me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do. I do a feelings check in on a piece of paper. I write my feelings out and then I just, I just go at it. I let God know what's going on. And if he's messing up, I let him know if I think he's messing up. <laughs> I let, I, I put down stuff about my wife, about my family, whoever. And I find that I tell the truth there. Um, now, Nate, you have a good, what was the phrase you have for that? When you started journaling poorly performance journaling? Oh yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did your sponsor call that? Uh, yeah. Well, why do you just said I'm writing good crap? That's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's crap. It's just good crap. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm I'm curious. Every part of of the story as you were going along, um, there's there's this underpinning of unworthiness for lo of love, which goes along with shame. Mm -hmm. But then you're talking about hiding, um, but within the the safety of hiding or the perceived safety. There's also the performance, which is trying to create a list that brings you back to worthiness. So for you, and this might be different for other people. I don't know. I'm just really curious for you. Were you trying to get to a place of worthiness with God that he would love you so that then others could or worthiness for others love. So then that would be the performance by which God would love you. And were you aware that, Jesus work had nothing to do with any of your worthiness in that equation. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, you know, you, you nailed it. It, it was, it was, if there's, you said a, B or C, I would say D it's all the, above. <laughs> it's all of that. It was, it was a lack of understanding of the gospel mm -hmm. that God came to me and my inability to ever get to him. Mm -hmm. And I'm loved because of who he is. And I'm loved also because I am actually lovable. Like, he looks at me and he goes, I like you and I love you. You're made in my image. Like I'm not, I'm not like trying to deal with you or just like put up with you. Um, so I had, I had a low view of the, I had a very limited understanding of the gospel. I had a very limited understanding of the Imago day. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to say to myself, I'm not, I'm not joking. I say to myself, God, I'm going to prove to you what a good decision you made of saving me. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. I, I want to go back to to the words you you changed when you said I had a low view of the gospel. I think that was much better. Can we stick with that? Because I think wouldn't it be helpful if people could just say out loud, "Yes, Jesus, the whole cross thing was awesome." But I think it will be more powerful if I don't masturbate today. That will be more Absolutely. powerful than your the cross. If we said that out loud, it might help us realize yeah. we're super full of shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I didn't know we could curse on here. Oh, that's great. Okay. <laughs> none, none, none of my congregation can listen to this though. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that was that. Absolutely. I used to think like, okay, so you had the power to defeat sin and death, but like, you can't keep me from touching my dick. Like, how you're not that powerful. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm the one that has to do that. Yeah. And um, absolutely, Aaron, that's, that's it, it was, it was such a disconnect to realize like the point of the cross is that I could be so open and honest with my God about who I really was and not have to shame myself into, like, I used to think like, let me clean this, this, this turd up before I give it to you. Like, yeah. no, let me just kind of give you what's what, yeah. about who I really am. Well, and yeah. worse than that is that we'd still call it a turd when the power of the gospel is that he made me into something that is a worthy offering that is beautiful to be offered. And f- even in my devaluing of that, it devalues the cross to be like, ah, uh, broken and crappy. I bring myself to you. And God's like, what? I, I gave you something beautiful to give back. But don't stop devaluing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where you guys want to go with this interview since, you know, this was not our originally planned interview for the morning. So I'm going to ask one more question. Then Nate can like turn it and steer it towards where it's supposed to go. Cause I'm just curious and having a good time chatting with you. Uh, <laughs> so Nate, sit, sit down, be quiet. Uh, when you talked about chronic masturbation and it was clear that you were being clear in your, the way you phrased it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people haven't thought about that. I think like, okay, is masturbation a sin? Well, I can't point to like scripture saying I can't because obviously Onan is not the verse to go to. Uh, so help a listener that says, I don't know, is this a problem or not? How does somebody start figuring that out? Yeah. So um, first off for me, chronic masturbation masturbation became my drug it became Mm -hmm. the way for me to get away from life not to engage life Mm -hmm. um when i saw how crappy and shitty and difficult life was it became my little place to hole up and i would go into a haze and i would Mm -hmm. just kind of numb out um and just like any kind of medication that you can do this with right Mm -hmm. and even things like alcohol whatever else um when that's the thing that you find yourself having to go to regularly because life is too much. You don't know how to deal with life on life's terms. For me, that was clear that that was a problem. Mm-hmm. That I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, um, I, could, I would keep drawing a boundary. Here's, you know, what addiction is. You keep drawing a boundary, you keep crossing it. Yeah. You can't just simply go like, hey, I, I think that's probably too much. I think I'll just take a break here from doing that. Um, mm-hmm. No, it's, it's the thing that you then are powerless over and you need a power greater than yourself mm-hmm. to restore you to sanity. And that's the step one of, of 12 step. So if somebody is saying, I don't know, but they really can't stop, then that's a sign. Um, what, yeah, what I would else? say this, I would say just real quick, I would say like, you know, if you, if you're, if you don't have a problem, then say, okay, then I'm just going to stop. Just, just don't. And then if you have to keep doing it, then maybe there's something there. Okay. Anything you would add to that, Nate, in, in all your experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I, think, I think Robin has nailed it. Uh, I don't know that there is anything, uh, you know, morally reprehensible in masturbation itself, which is why the Bible doesn't make an issue of it. But the best of gifts, and I include alcohol in one of God's gifts, mm-hmm. uh, can easily be abused and uh and be used by our ancient enemy for our destruction and for me masturbation is one of those it, and one of the things that really delayed my entry into recovery was uh, i found plenty of allies in those first couple of years who would agree with me that i could modify the program uh to give myself an exception for sex with self because it wasn't a moral issue. And if you're just enlightened and if you're just, you know, a modern person and if you're just not all hung up and puritanical, uh, you can, you can. So anyway, yeah, I did not want to accept that limitation. I thought it would be a diminution of my freedom. I thought I'd lose freedom if I gave that up. Yeah, it's it's almost like your legalistic past is working against you because you're like, now I'm putting legalism on, which, of course, you know, 
I think it really goes back to Paul talking about uh, it's those who have weaker faith that have all the rules. But he's yeah. not saying it's a bad thing because if my faith is weaker in an area, what do I need but rules? Yeah. And hopefully faith will be able to replace those those laws and the behavior might should still be intact without the rules. But I, I can see how that would be like, oh, I don't want to, if I give this up, it's almost an anti-gospel thing. I need to not yeah. give it up. And what a, what a crazy way to think that is, but it makes church sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's a difference between, this is such a fine line. It's hard to, to sometimes see it, but we're not talking about doing more. We're talking about giving up more. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's difference between trying to do it yourself and then simply surrender yourself. Yeah. And for me, I just had to realize like that I believe there are people that can, that can masturbate and life is fine. And, and they don't, they don't start spiraling out of control, like in, in their thinking and their yeah. interactions and wanting to hide out more. Like I can look back on my life and see a clear pattern that every time I was interacting with masturbation, for me, mm-hmm. it was sending me to a place that was making myself more distant with my wife, um, where we couldn't, like it became this way for me to view her, yeah. right, of not satisfying me. So it started distorting everything in, in life. Obviously, it was then distorting even my work because mm-hmm. I was losing jobs and spending extra time, those kind of things. And it wasn't going, okay, I don't need to do this because this is a wrong thing. It was like, this is a really unhelpful thing to my Imago day and me yeah. getting to live in this world on God's terms. Yeah. So I'm going to surrender myself to my creator and go, God, I give this to you. I made your image. I know you want more from me. Mm. And so here you go. And yeah. then I started finding like, I needed help doing it. So I yeah. needed people to help coach me along the way. Like how do you keep surrendering your life to God yeah. and living life on his terms? Yeah. 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 So what I'm hearing you guys say that might clarify it for a listener is uh, take it out of masturbation thought for a minute and realize the same thing is true of food which nobody thinks is morally inappropriate uh alcohol like you said any of the any behavior can become the thing that i self-soothe with and i need to know when it's crossed that line where this is no longer helpful or healthy in the relationships god's put me in including with one with him yes okay so and, and, that, and that can also be true of self-hypnotic religious behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, religion is masturbation. I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let me just clarify something. I, I, this is really helpful for me in, in any kind of guidance, guidance I bring to other people in my work. I don't, gosh, I could really lose my, my credentials on this, but I, I'll just try it out here. <laughs> we, are, we don't have a sin problem. I, mm-hmm. I really don't like how we talk about sin so many times in the church mm-hmm. because like you're this horrible sinner and whatever else. Like the problem isn't sin. The problem is, yes, that's a problem missing the mark. Okay. But even when we talk about masturbation, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And addiction, those kind of things, we think we're talking about all these horrible sins. I just don't know how to deal with life on life's terms. Mm-hmm. Like, and so it's that I don't know how to be present. It's not that I just don't know how to not sin. Mm-hmm. It's that I don't really just know how to be present with myself and God. And telling the truth about me. All right, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna ask you to clarify this because I'm a I'm a good Christian man who says, brother, you do not need to live life on life's terms. You need to live them on Jesus' terms. So mm-hmm. what is living life on life's terms, but giving in to just what a broken world is? Mm-hmm. So Chip died. He he has this great way of talking about life that he attributes to even how the the ancient uh, ancient Jewish people lived and how they understood the world, and that is. Life is tragic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's anybody that knew about how life was tragic, 400 years of slavery, the whole cynicism of the book of Judges, the spiraling down of every king you have, the story of exiles, uh, life is tragic, but God is always faithful. Mm-hmm. And when I can live in that tension, that life is tragic, but God is faithful. And that's the story of humanity. That's how we're always going about life. That I don't try to make life into something it's supposed to be that I think I deserve. Mm-hmm. But instead, I start going, this is life. Life is difficult. Life's mm-hmm. a lot. Life is, and here's where feelings are so helpful. There aren't negative and positive feelings. They're just right. feelings. Yeah. I like how Jeff Schulte talks about it. Feelings are when you step into the little, little mat going into Target, and the doors open up, and they take you somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's the point of feelings. Mm-hmm. So it's me going, life is sad today. 
and life is lonely and I'm hurting or I'm afraid. And I don't have to shame myself of being like, okay, well, have no fear because God is here. That kind of thing. <laughs> but instead going, God, I'm so afraid. Are you the kind of God that can come be with me in my fear? Mm-hmm. I'm so lonely. Are you the kind of God that can be with me in my loneliness? And I think when we can get to that place, we start going like, yeah, like life is lonely. So I'm living on life's terms in a sense, but God is so faithful. And when I tell the truth about who I am and where I am and bring it to him, then he can start carrying me somewhere, letting it be like this rushing river that's going somewhere. And I don't have to always fight against it. Wow. I have to, I have to think about this more because you saying that kind of just blew my mind in thinking that scripture was the textbook for Jewish kids and Genesis to Malachi. One of the most consistent themes is you screwed up again. You screwed up again. Here's God's word explaining how you screwed up again. Like that's their history book. And what was the history book I grew up with? Minimizing the eradication of Native Americans, minimizing slavery, elevating anything that was, it's the exact opposite Absolutely. what a Jewish child learned to live in, exactly like you said, live within this mm-hmm. strange balance of, yeah, you come from a long history of bad mistakes and God's That's still right. faithful. That's crazy. And that doesn't make you a mistake. No. You aren't some kind of piece of shit that's messed it all up. You just had these mistakes in your life. And God's mm. like, just tell the truth. We can right. work with this. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, we've got... Yeah, what are the passages? Ezekiel 16, I, this is how much I loved you. This is how much you betrayed me. And this is how much I'm going to chase you. I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. it's the full redemptive story that never, he never says you're a mistake. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm, I love you so much. I'm chasing Absolutely. after you. So that's Absolutely. cool. All right, Nate, none of this had to do with what you wanted to talk about. Go ahead. No, 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 no. But see, God is faithful. And I, uh, I trusted <laughs> him. That uh, if we would just be present in the conversation. That's uh, great. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, and I love this when I, when I sit down with you every week, uh, Robin, through the miracle of the worldwide interweb. Uh, you ask me, where are you? And boy, those were, that was a tough, I, I'm getting better at answering the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was stumped the first time you asked me that. Yeah. That uh, and when you ask me, what do you need? It's like, for what, like what the hell? You know, <laughs> I don't need anything. Uh-huh. Uh, but this is beautiful, and I'm so grateful that uh, recovery is a process. We're trusting the process, Absolutely. and uh, I don't have a postdoctoral degree in recovery, and neither does Robin, and neither does Chip, and neither does Jeff. But we're on a journey together, and we're learning from each other. And, uh, and to me, that's, that, that's just, that's just absolutely beautiful. It beats the loneliness of my former life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, um, you, in addition to, uh, so you do, uh, I, I want our listeners to know, Robin, that, uh, you spend part of your time these days doing coaching through Tin Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that website at Tin Man? TinManMinistries.org. Okay. Yep. And you and Jeff, we should you and Jeff invite listeners to go back uh, probably no more than 20 or so episodes if they want to hear a little more detail about that because Jeff yeah, really yeah. explained it not within the last year. Okay. So yeah, that, yeah. that can be kind of a, oh, that's, that's what they're talking yeah. about without yeah, having great. to re-explain. And you and Jeff occasionally do uh, intensives, small intensives. You limit them to six guys, I guess. Right. Uh, and tell us how those intensives typically run. Yeah, this is the, I think Jeff would say the same thing. This is the best part of our job that we do with Tidman. Like mm-hmm. this is the thing that brings the most change. I mean, we both, and we have others, we have also, we have other men and women that, that meet with clients every week. Um, and I love meeting with, uh, clients and, and mm-hmm. doing an hour session that we do those things, but these intensives, we offer them twice a year. Uh, we cap them at six people. And they go for three and a half days. So the next one we have coming up is April 10th through the 13th. Oh, that's right uh, around the corner. Right around the corner. Yep. We actually have two slots still available for it. So, um, but how it works is uh, we have six people that come in and they're doing a lot of work on their end, on the front end with their mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. helping them dive into their story. We get 
give some ways to have some mile markers along the way, let them know how they're doing and what they're doing. And when they show up, Jeff and I just spend, we spend a half a day with each person mm-hmm. and we do it together as a group because there's something powerful when you can tell your story to other people right. and you can simply share your feelings around it with each other. And <clears throat> we have, we have seen so many, and I want to be careful when I say it, because this can kind of be churchy to say breakthroughs, but I mean like people really coming awake yeah. to how God has made them, the gifts he's given them, and the place he's calling them to go to. Yeah. And people dealing with their shame, dealing with their loneliness, dealing with their, all those kind of things. And so that's what we do for three and a half days. It's, it's intense. We, we all, we, we rent out a place. We have a really nice place. We stay out here in Memphis, uh, out in the countryside. Graceland, right? Don't you go to Graceland? <laughs> no, no. I love it. I wish. Uh, <laughs> that's a great idea. Matter of fact, if you ever come here, we'll try that out. Next session in the jungle room. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so we we have a it's like a little ranch area we go to, and just for all the foods provided, uh, it's about nineteen fifty total. So mm-hmm. nineteen fifty total gets you three and a half days. All your food provided. You just pay for your travel here and back. Mm-hmm. Room and boards included in that. And then Jeff and I just work with these people who come for those three and a half days to go through some intensive coaching and therapy um, and, and hopefully walk out with a lot more clarity as to where their life is heading and what they need to be doing to be a part of that. Wow. 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 So any of your listeners, uh, if you know, would love for them, anyone, like I said, we got two slots available. If, if they're interested, but can't right now, we'll have it again in the fall and they can mm-hmm. find out more information on the website. Okay. All right. Cool. Awesome. Well, Robin, thank you so much. I'm, I'm grateful that in God's providence, it worked out today that yeah. our scheduled guest was not available and you miraculously were, and we could have this conversation. Thanks, Nate. I really uh, enjoyed It's good to know there's a house I can crash in Memphis now if I'm ever there. So that's great. Maybe the most important thing that's come out of this. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> it was good to meet you. Aaron, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> it's been documented. It's on the show now. Yes. Okay. It's, it's All, right. Show. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, Robin. Yeah. And uh, brothers, we will be back in just a moment here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. of a popular culture telling all our children how to do it right And we are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, well, I was a little disappointed in that conversation. <laughs> How's that? Well, uh, not once did he talk about anything embarrassing that you've said in confidence. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to what does Nate talk about during his sessions. <laughs> ah, yeah, that yeah. appropriate Pastor Robin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really good. I, I loved hearing it. I I love the gospel. There was a lot of gospeliciousness in there. It, yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, our time has flown. Uh, I think we're over an hour. We try to keep these under an hour. Do want to re- remind our listeners that we do love to hear from you. Uh, and don't forget, uh, by the way, if you are a pastor or on a pastoral staff, you do qualify for the highly selective and highly secretive pastor only virtual <laughs> Samson meetings on the Samson site. Uh, you can shoot an email to me, Nate at natelarkin.com or send one to Tom Mocha, Tom at samsonhouse.org. 
if uh, you would like to get into those meetings, they are by invitation only, and we have to qualify those who want to join. And, and I do want to remind you, if you're a pastor, you can also be in other meetings with, you know, normal people. You can that's do that. That's true. You just that's have, true. You get one more option. Yeah, yeah. Because you are blessed. All right. Uh, our email address again is piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk podcast.